0: Hey, and thanks for listening in
1: to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am pleased to to be joined today by Reverend Dr. Tim Mori. Hello.
2: Hey, Lauren, good to be with you.
1: Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Tim is founder, founding and lead pastor at Life Covenant Church in Torrance, California. He serves as a church planning coach for the Evangelical Covenant Church and is an adjunct professor at Fuller theological seminary and he's the author of what we're gonna be talking about here in a little bit. Planning a church without losing your soul. So I read the book and really, really found it meaningful and I'm I'm grateful to have you on Tim and uh looking forward to kind of hearing more about uh kind of book and, and learning from your wisdom and insights. I mean I think I think that's what most impressed me was just kind of like the deep pastoral wisdom in the book, but let's, let's hold off on that. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Tell our listeners, uh, what else you'd like to know them to know about you?
2: Hmm. Uh, well, thank you, brother. That means a lot to me. And thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I am a church planner, as you said. Um, goodness. In addition to that, I am a husband. I'm a father of, of two, Kind of little girls, they're teenagers now. But um yeah, and I, I've been, I guess, maybe most remain to our topic, I've been involved in church planning for about 17 years. Uh, planted Life Covenant Church in Torrance, as you mentioned, and then uh, since that time have been uh, engaged with church planting and church planters in various forms. Uh, our church is, we're not a particularly large congregation, but we've been very intentional in church planting. We've uh, planted a total of five churches in the Los Angeles area, and then we're um, we're involved in global missions in Mozambique, and we're training pastors there, and we've we've planted uh, about 150 churches in that nation, and uh, and then I've I've served with our denomination in their church planning wing um, as the director of assessment, and done training and coaching, and and then I get to teach this good stuff at Fuller Seminary too, so that's that's a lot of joy and all that I guess puts me in proximity to a lot of church planners a lot of really great people
1: awesome uh, tell us about kind of your faith journey how you came to Christ and uh, what that looks like today
2: yeah so uh, I was born into a, a really wonderful Christian home my parents were great examples to me uh, my grandparents too so I'm a third-generation Christian came to faith at the ripe old age of five uh, had a Significant detour in my faith journey too, though I was uh, out of the church for about five years. Wow! Running from God during that time, and uh, during college is when I was sort of recaptured by the love of Christ, Mm and um, almost immediately it seemed like was pretty involved in ministry and my church and on my college campus, and uh, that led to vocational ministry, seminary, and uh, and it was in seminary that I. I kind of discovered i was called to be a church planter and uh, mm-hmm. got there eventually had a couple detours along the way there too but that's sort of how i found myself where i'm at presently
1: awesome uh, what has been a spiritual practice that's been meaningful for you or you might recommend to others
2: well um yeah you know i i love the spiritual disciplines um, and in fact there's there's a chapter in the book about my particular yeah. practices uh, but I, I would say just to name a couple that are really core for me uh, meditation on scripture and prayer as a daily mm-hmm. practice and then in larger chunks of solitude as a monthly and annual practice is, is like food to me it's huge mm. um, Sabbath keeping is a really important one for me too, uh, and and then I'll I'll name this one just because maybe it doesn't get as much attention it seems at least in contemplative circles. But uh, I've really come to discover uh, physical exercise as an important spiritual discipline yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, it's funny I was going to ask you that, Tim. Uh, Tim writes in the book about how he's gotten into running, and uh, unfortunately I'm more of kind of a former runner myself because. About three years ago, I realized I had a back injury that tends to be aggravated with running, and uh, when it aggravates, it's pretty debilitating for a couple of days. So I went. I've ran like four times this month, just kind of like a. I needed some kind of something mentally different, but that was the first time I ran in like eleven months. So I definitely missed the uh, definitely missed the practice for sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. It it's uh, it's really a blessing. Running, I find to be very sort of contemplative. I pray well when I run, uh, mm-hmm. as well as just what the exercise does in your body—the release of endorphins, yeah. releasing the stress—and and, um, and uh, ironically, I've had back issues too. I I still do run, but in my forties, I've I've gotten more into CrossFit, which has okay. actually really fixed a lot of my my. Problems in terms of back issues and whatnot, and it's not really uh, contemplative, but it's great exercise. I meet God in that too. Yeah.
1: Boy, this is some really hot talk here, Tim. Like, if our listeners could see us, we're like middle-aged men talking about body injuries, right. bald. You know, <laughs> right. that's right. Uh huh.
2: This hey, church well, planning is that, not Jim. sexy, and I think we're we're yeah. just proving that here in the course of this podcast. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's fun. I know I remember my first solo pastor church. Like every Sunday afternoons, like a run on Sunday afternoons would save me cuz I'd come home so frustrated and I could get out for a 4 5 6 mile run and just kind of work through it all and be like, okay, ready to go again. Well, let's talk about let's talk about your book. Uh, so Tim is the author of Planting a Church Without losing your soul, Um, nine questions. Where is it? Nine questions for the spiritually formed pastor. And I kind of gave Tim like a a rundown of questions, but then as I thought about it, I thought it'd almost be more fun just kind of run through uh, each chapter in a way. So it might, it might be, you know, might be terrible, but I, I was really impressed just by Tim's wisdom within. So let's talk about first. I guess start off with this kind of what prompted you to write the book and how did that come about
2: yeah you know the the book came about uh, well I guess the the primary cause in some ways was a colleague Uh, I was speaking at at an event uh, for church planters and afterwards he he said you know it doesn't matter what topic you're given at these things you always come back to the health of the church planter that should probably be your next Mm -hmm. book and it's like oh man you're totally right. And I hadn't seen that, but I I do always gravitate back to that. And I think the reason for that, Lauren, is my observation through the years has been that most church planners are not undermined by a lack of ministry skill. Usually Mm. what undermines us is uh, a lack of soul care or a spiritual life Mm. that's been outstripped by the magnitude or the difficulty of the work.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like every time you say something, I'm like, oh, we could spend another half an hour on that. <laughs> but let's just jump in then. Um, so the first chapter is how to be a pastor and a person. And one of the things that stood out to me was you talk about the Elijah syndrome. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, your point is about managing the emotions in the heat of ministry. And I've only... Like, the church I'm currently pastoring is my first kind of church plant that I'm kind of, like, the lead on. But this idea of, like, the ebbs and flows and ups and downs of ministry are, I mean, I remember one that kind of stands out to me. The story that I'll tell is, like, basically standing in front of, like, an empty room at 1035 on a Sunday morning and just have to start talking and pretending that the room is full because if you act like it's now, thankfully some people showed up and we actually had a pretty decent attendance, I think, but it was one of those just like kind of gut punches to be like this room is empty and I have to start as if it's full. So talk about managing those emotions.
2: Oh man, I relate to that Lauren. Yeah. Church planning is is painful and we get broken again and again. And uh, that is one of the things that I see in Elijah's story is how tender God is with him in the midst of his emotions, which which don't match his reality, right? He just mm-hmm. came off of this incredible spiritual and ministry experience, this victory over the prophets of Baal. And now he's threatened by Jezebel and he's, he's scared to death and he's worn out and he wants to quit and uh, wants to die. And um, And God meets him so tenderly in that. And I know that's that's something I've tried to cultivate and and I'm trying to cultivate is having grace with myself when my my emotions are out of proportion and learning how to meet God in that and let him father Mm -hmm. me in the midst of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's just such a powerful story, that story of Elijah and, uh, you know, cuz it, it, it in many ways kind of replicates like a church planner's you can go we can go from super highs and super lows and just that quick um well uh again so much here so much here for the sake of time we're going to kind of just power through and then we'll come back to some highlights if we need to but second chapter is growth talking about planning for your own spiritual formation and I'll confess to him this has probably been one that reading the book it was like the one that was I need still the most work on and I think for me which I think you talked to you in the book is just this kind of pressure to like produce and to work and the pastor's own spiritual vitality kinda of gets overlooked.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah that's so common Lauren. I think as church planters we uh, we'll often do a better job of planning for the formation of our church planning yeah. for outreach or you know we'll we'll make great plans there but when it comes to our own lives uh, often we just kind of wing it you know my
0: yeah.
2: my old church planning coach used to say that church planning is like building the airplane while you're in the air right yeah. and yeah. and when you're in that spot who has time to l- to make a plan for their own spiritual growth, let alone execute that plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- this ends up being one of those really critical areas of our undoing at times, where if if we're not being filled up by God, then we've got nothing to give, right? We're coming to people with an empty yeah. plate and expecting to feed them. And, and so learning, to, learning to, to put our own spiritual formation first, not as an act of selfishness, it's actually a a profound act of love and service to those that we care for, making sure that we're coming to them as the best version of self that we can be.
1: I think it seems counterintuitive to think like, because, you know, that plane analogy, you think like, if I stop building a plane, it's going to crash. But the reality is, and you probably know this better than I do, that the long-term viability of the church like the most important metric in that is the pastors, the lead pastors or founding pastors sustained health. So it seems counterintuitive to be like, hey, I need to take care of me, but more more truer to that is like taking care of you will inevitably bring better chance of growth and success, right?
2: That's right, that's right. It's it, It's our self-application of John 15, right? That mm-hmm. we abide in the vine, and the life of Christ runs through us, and he says the result of that is fruit. And yeah. and we know this, and we teach this, but sort of in, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of ministry, and all the plates you're trying to spin, it's it's uh, difficult to live this, and uh, a habit that's hard to acquire.
1: Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, chapter 3, I I mean, the first words kind of smack you in the face, and they, they smacked me in the face. Like, chapter three is on suffering, and the first four words are, you will be broken. And, um, boy, that, if that doesn't speak truth to church planting, I don't know what else, what, what else will, but tell us more about um, how do you embrace a life peppered with difficulty. I'll share, um, a couple summers ago, pre-COVID, I went to like a national denominational event and you know i met some of my friends from seminary and whatnot and they're like hey well tell us how's church planning going and i'm like well this is this is how it goes like i wear a a shirt to church to set up i sweat through that shirt and then i go change into another shirt for the church and then i go tear it all down again and sweat through that next shirt
2: (laughs) right right that's right Oh, man, it's, it's true. The, the work that we put in is, is immense. Uh, The challenge of creating teams where there is no team to do things that, you know, in an established church, we might take for granted, like setting up chairs. Yeah. And, and then in reality, I mean, that's not the worst of it. I mean, the worst of it is when you're, you're doing these things and you're doing the work and and you know that person that you've invested in uh decides that they don't like what you're doing anymore and they move on to the closest megachurch or that trusted mentor that's been investing in you says i don't think this is the church for me or uh or your you know or your spouse it's like man this is killing my soul i don't know if i can keep doing this and uh, these these aren't things that uh you know take another class or read another book or you know <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a workshop on preaching skills it doesn't fix these things they're yeah they're deeper in the soul than that
1: yeah yeah um chapter four and we're we're hustling right along here i think was a really interesting chapter because the the, the the chapter's on power and do others experience me as a safe person? And I I noted that there was really like, it wasn't just, the chapter wasn't just about authority and kind of how to exercise power with ethics. And it was also about, am I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm trying to find it. The idea of like, am I too, like the idea that you can be too wounded to be a good leader uh, and kind of, I'm not sure how you'd say it, like, being aware of your own stuff and say, is my stuff going to get in the way of me being a good leader?
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really well put Lauren. I think this question of power and whether or not we're safe people, it has Mm -hmm. more to do uh, more than just knowing ethics around leadership. You know, yeah, yeah. We can know those things, but so much of our issues as it comes to power and it's misuse really are driven by our own egos. And I think that's where yeah. wounding comes in. Is, is uh, I just take it as a given that all church planners are wounded. I know I I was, and I am, and I'm sure you are, and that's just kind of baked in. But the, the question that I know in an assessment center we would always try to ask is, is this person a wounded healer, or are they a healing mm-hmm. wounder? In, in other words, have they met Jesus in the midst of those wounds sufficiently that they're going to be able to pass on the comfort that they've received from God to others? You know, a la 1 Corinthians 1. Um, mm-hmm. Or conversely, are others always going to be sucked into this emotional neediness that they have and mm. unconsciously used for their purposes, for their ego gratification? and uh, And I'm I mean, except for those who are, are seriously damaged. I mean, no church planner is trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. But if, you know, if we're not really meeting Jesus and letting him bring us healing, it's really easy to inadvertently do that. And, and that's sort of what we're trying to get out there.
1: Yeah. And this really can manifest itself in any size church. And I think it was in this chapter, Tim. You talk about how I don't know if the word we used was power, but kind of like persona uh, can be like can be seen as a strength. Like people are like, "Hey, I'm exercising my authority." But if it's coming from, a, you know, it can be outside perceivers. That's a strong authoritative leader. But if it's coming from a place of weakness or woundedness, then it's it's really a you know a broken, sinful response.
2: That's right. That's right, yeah, and this, this actually came out of an observation Richard Foster made that really impacted me years ago, where he talks about sex and money and power as the three chief mm-hmm. temptations of a Christian leader's life and just yeah. how in, in American church culture power is such a blind spot. You know, a, yeah. a pastor sins in the area of sex or money, you know, they have an affair, mm-hmm. or they embezzle or something. I mean, it that's serious, and they're probably going to lose their ministry but power Uh, leaders who are angry who lash out at people often we don't see the sin we we like you said we go oh well that's a strong leader they're doing what they have to do and we reward them for that with bigger (laughs) churches and uh, bigger platforms Mm -hmm. and it's it's really a problem
1: yeah yeah the power chapter is a great chapter Uh, I mean, folks, if you haven't caught this already, you need to buy the book and read the book if you're thinking about church planning. Uh, And chapter five, I think this might have been like the chapter that hit me the most. Um, Obscurity, can I minister without being noticed? And Tim, I'll say this as someone who grew up uh, in my 400 years in church, were kind of the mid 90s, late 90s, when I don't know if you remember this, but in my context, it seemed like There was so much kind of, like, narrative about, like, going out and, like, being a martyr and doing great things for God and setting the world on fire. And I think it's in this chapter, you're right about the average size of a church being, or, statistically, most churches, like 66% of churches are 100 people or less. Uh, So this obscurity about being being able to minister without being noticed, I mean, that was, that spoke to me. Uh, How... And this can be especially challenging for a church planner who's, especially if they're, cause like, I think it you know, we're talking about the woundedness. I think t- to some extent, we're all kind of seeking that uh, feedback, right? That, hey, we're doing a good job and what we say matters and we're doing important stuff. And it's, if we're kind of depending on that feedback for validation, then it's like, when we got 30, 40, 50, 60 people coming, it's like, man, am I? So uh, talk more about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, for that church planner who has 30, 40, 50 people, you know, we're prone to look at ourselves and, and Mm -hmm. see a failure looking back at us in the mirror. And in reality, uh, what we are is a normal pastor, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what's typical. And it's actually very atypical to lead a larger church. 90% of lead pastors are leading congregations of 250 or less. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it, you know, it's just a, a fraction of pastors who are leading a church of a thousand or more, which is, is uh, I know for me, that was always kind of set out there as, as the model yeah. of success. And yeah. um, I, I, think, I think one thing church planning has done to me and how God has met me in that is really to coming, coming to grapple with the question, am I okay doing this if nobody notices? If it's just wow, God yeah. and a handful of others who are looking at this and going, yeah, this this is good. You are faithful. Yeah. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And I, I think as planters, uh, it, it's so important that we come to a place of acceptance in that and, and mm-hmm. really kind of leave the results to God. I know that sounds so cliche, but just that we, we show up, we minister faithfully, mm-hmm. and if if hey if it ends up looking like what 90 percent of pastors today and throughout history it's this isn't a uniquely American thing churches have always been small yeah Uh, can we look at that and say okay I'm I'm in I'm in yeah
1: I think that's been that kind of like control what I can control has been like a super helpful kind of narrative for me I know um one of my guys on my team kind of introduced me to the idea of lead and lag measures when the lag measures kind of like how many people show up and we can't control how many people show up really like you know the weather might be what the weather is um other stuff might be happening on the weekend you know i can't control that but what i can control is like how i'm reaching out to families you know how i'm looking to uh, meet new people i mean that's what i can control
2: right that i love that that's that's a great way of looking at that
1: i mean that's that's on a good day when i'm saying that
2: (laughs) to myself (laughs) right me too me too
1: (laughs) oh well here this flows into the next chapter am i resilient in the face of setbacks and defeats uh tim i don't know about you but if the i remember when i talk to people about church planning occasionally the thing i'll say like the number one thing is like being able to get out, out of bed on monday morning how, how does that resonate with you and yeah
2: yeah yeah y- you know i read an interview with david letterman years ago where he was asked if he was happy and he said he measured mm-hmm. his his happiness in 24-hour periods it all depend on how the last night show went and, I think pastors and Monday mornings is kind of a good example of that. Yeah. And man, it is so easy to become enslaved to our perception of our, I'll call them our stats at any given time. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. It's how well Sunday went. It's how that last conversation went. It's counseling that family. It was inviting that family, you know, um, and just, just, uh, really measuring our view of self by our performance and man mm-hmm. in in a venture like church planning where failure setback and defeat is going to come on such a regular basis yeah <laughs> boy that'll just chew you up if that's that's the way that yeah. we're going into it
1: so i think it's in this chapter you talk about recalibrating defeat talk a little bit more about what that looks like yeah a recalibrating failure
2: yes yeah you know for me it's it's really uh, it's coming to see failure in relation to faithfulness uh, Mm. as opposed to seeing failure in relation to outcome right and I I draw here on on uh, part of Paul's conversation with the church in Corinth and first Corinthians Mm -hmm. 3 where he talks about how he planted the seed and Apollos watered the seed, but God brought the growth. And, um, and I, I come back to that a lot and I just remind myself, okay, I really, at the end of the day, I cannot cause anything to happen in this church. There's, there are so many factors, you know, the soil mm-hmm. that we're planting in, the cultural yeah. forces that are going on, the spiritual forces that are pressing against people uh yeah and and all that is going to factor into the outcome but all i can do and this kind of comes back to what you're saying before lauren all i can do is be faithful to show up do my best to be a person who is plugged into jesus who is speaking truth who's teaching Mm -hmm. the bible as as well as i know how to do it and calling people Mm -hmm. to live faithfully in christ and uh, if I do that, even if my church closes, if I do that, I honestly believe that I've succeeded. Yeah. Painful as so that good. would be, that that yeah. needs to be my my recalibration of what failure and success mean.
1: I know I've really had to try to recalibrate in my own mind what success looks like. Because uh, I look at my first church that was like a revitalization type church, and I, I was there for... Close to four years, and you know, kind of built it up to see it conflict come and pull it down again, and built it up again to see internal conflict and strife. And like, and you know, on the outside, it's kind of like when I when I left, it's like, you know, was I successful by external metrics? No, but I I could say like, hey, I was faithful to what I was called to do here, and I think I did a good job. Um, there's something else I was gonna can't remember what else I was gonna say. Um, anyway, we'll move on. I'll probably think of it later, but um, the resilience, the resilience is so important. Um, let's talk about chapter seven, the marathon for a sprint. Cause this one really intrigued me. Uh, a, I do have a running background. I've run a couple of marathons, but B, I've always been kind of preconditioned and told like, this is a sprint. Uh, and I certainly fer- treated the first year of my church plant that way. Uh, I didn't. I took literally no vacation, I think, that first year. Uh, so I still have a ton of vacation hours <laughs> according to my contract. Uh, it sounds like you would probably advise against that. Uh, but talk about why looking at it as a marathon, not a sprint, is important.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think this is a real area of difficulty because as church plants, we feel the the ticking clock, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this yeah. is particularly true of those who are deriving their income from the church. It's a little different yeah. if you're a bi vocational yep. pastor, but uh, you need to reach a place of of ministry and financial sustainability for this thing to go. And mm-hmm. there's. There's tremendous pressure there. It's the pressure of being a pastor combined with the pressure of being a startup entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and so I think in, intuitively we put ourselves into sprint mode, and uh, and certainly there there are seasons in the church where where we need to be going hard. It, it's it's not that it's never okay to sprint. There's times where that's exactly what's needed, but if if we want to still be doing not just this church plant, but even still be in pastoral ministry in Mm -hmm. 5, 10, 20, 30 years, then we need to pace accordingly. And so it's bringing in that marathon mindset. If if I'm going to run 26 miles, I better not do it at a one mile pace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, chapter eight was another one of those chapters that kind of stuck with me. So chapter 8 is uh have I relinquished my ambition to be a superhero? Um and, and I'll I'll say Tim, I think for me I I noticed like there's this kind of like as I read chapter 8, there's kind of this need to balance overconfidence versus self-doubt. Um tell a little bit more about chapter eight and then if you know if that makes sense what i just said speak to that too
2: oh yeah it, it makes very personal sense <laughs> um <laughs> yeah you know if you had asked me i would always have said i am a team guy it is not about mm-hmm. me i don't need to be this uh you know the solo moses figure you know etc etc but i i had to come to grips with the fact that there were patterns in my life that said something different. You know, if that's the case, mm-hmm. if I'm a team guy, uh, why am I so possessive of certain decisions? Why don't I want mm-hmm. others to speak into this? Why, if I'm a team guy, am I reluctant to praise that uh, that colleague, that team member? You know, and I had to admit to myself, I hated this, but I had to admit to myself, I, I kind of want credit for that. I worked hard. Mm. And, you know the, those yeah. types of things, I found popping up in myself all the time, and uh, I I had to learn. Okay, what does it really mean to be a team guy, and to relinquish mm-hmm. my ambition to be a superhero? That everybody would look at it and yeah. say, "Wow, that guy's amazing." Uh, that's it's not the way to build a church. It's not the I would argue it's not the New Testament model of leadership, mm. and uh, and I. I referenced Moses in the chapter 2. It's it's not even the Old Testament model. The mm-hmm. Moses model, quote-unquote, is is actually yeah. discouraged by Moses' father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of where that comes from and what the chapter points towards. is okay, how do we learn to do that? How do we move towards being a different yeah. person? You
1: have this one quote that really stood out to me, that overwork is a spiritual issue tangled up in our insecurities and fail fears desires for accomplishment and recognition because I think again as a church planner you're kind of like I have to work I have to work I have to work Uh, and we don't see it as a bad thing we see it as a good thing Um, but I hate admitting this but like so many times leaders are over functioners and a a, a key part of building a good team or be building a, a church is like enabling people to do the work of the ministry right
2: Right. No, it's, it's so true. And I think there's a lot of pressures there. There's internal pressures for success, whatever the heck that means. Uh, there's, um, there's pressures that we feel culturally. You know, I, I mm-hmm. think um, you know, we're in a cultural moment where overwork, even workaholism is seen as a virtue and not as an of yeah. sin. So that factors in. Yeah. And then that brings pressures, too. You know, if I know that that uh, you know, the, the average professional in my church is putting in a 60-hour week and I'm putting mm-hmm. in less than that, uh, yeah. then, you know, how, uh, how does that jive? And, and so um, there's some, some strong pressures inside of this that we have mm-hmm. to grapple with if we're going to be successful in doing this well.
1: And it's hard this kind of gets into chapter 10 a little bit but I remember like my first church being like saying at like a board meeting or something like hey I've I've seen my kid like once or twice in the evening this week and just hearing the feedback like hey I worked 50 hours a week when I was a parent too so I mean that was an established church mind you but there's still gonna be to some extent that culture and as as a leader like the challenge is trying to set like you're modeling. Right in a way, healthy living and godly living, right?
2: hmm Mhm. It, it's absolutely true. And and that's been that's been a sole challenge for me because um, you know, we talk as pastors about okay, what are the hard things for us to to, to mm-hmm. speak, what are the hard words and this wouldn't have been on my list, but it it's been one. Teaching teaching the church Sabbath, teaching mm-hmm. about the danger of overwork. Uh-huh. teaching people to say, you know, to maybe say no to that promotion because mm-hmm. it's going to throw their work-life balance so out of whack. And yeah. um, and in at least in a place like Los Angeles, I mean, that just sounds like crazy talk. You know, who yeah. in their right mind would do that? But teaching from the scripture, okay, this is what the Bible says about work. It's mm-hmm. the, the goodness of work and the badness of work. How are we Mm -hmm. applying this and then and then modeling that too and and there have been times of conflict where where i think you know people have had to look at me kind of sideways and be like you know i'm 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 not sure about this and you Mm -hmm. know uh, i'm sure there's been questions around you know should tim be working more and i mean don't get me wrong i work plenty (laughs) um but um But sometimes when you're establishing good boundaries and you're teaching others Mm -hmm. to do the same, there can be a period of adjustment before people realize, okay, this makes sense. This is good. I I should say this too, though, Lauren. I mean, I'm talking about the challenge there, but, you know, I've been trying to lean into that teaching for, I'd say the last 10 years in our church.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And actually we're at a point where, where we see that. I mean, we, I could tell multiple stories of people who have turned down the promotion, who have changed jobs, wow. who have moved companies uh, because they've come to embrace the goodness of this teaching and, and they're, they're making lifestyle decisions uh, accordingly wow. and purchasing decisions accordingly. And it's That's been awesome. really good and healthy for us as, as hard as it was in the beginning for me to be saying these things.
1: Well, that's cool. That's good. That's give me some hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is a good kind of leeway into, or transition, into uh, chapter 9, which is about conflict. And uh, you have this quote that really stuck out to me. Um, you write, Not much can compare with conflict when it comes to revealing how we, at this moment, are doing in our own relationship with Christ. And I want to... Compare that to I've really become a student of family systems theory if you've if you followed that, and one of the authors I really like to read and and to follow will talk about how uh well he kind of gives an experience of being a hospital chaplain and how the emergency room crisis doesn't really change things it kind of just reveals what's already there and uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs>
2: yeah oh man i think that's so applicable to our lives as planters too and yeah conflict conflict gives me an instant readout on where i'm at uh if if i'm able to deal with uh, a person who's being difficult with grace with humility with gentleness with listening then then uh, okay my soul's in a pretty decent place. But if I respond by lashing out, if I respond by murdering them in my mind, if, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, if if I'm speaking poorly to them or about them, then, okay, the the problem person in that relationship is not them. It's me. And Mm -hmm. I need God to do some work in me so that I can be who he needs me to be and who they need me to be in that moment
1: yeah so good um so chapter 10 i think this was a really good chapter I, it really resonated with me as a father and husband uh the the, the story on or the chapter on family um I'll, I'll, let me introduce it with this tim I, I, re- I always share this and sometimes it gets you know i i, I don't think that i processed maybe it fully um, I was a pastor's kid growing up and I remember like one of the stories I t- tell is like that like my first day of Little League like, practice like someone else from the church took me to practice other than my dad and you know it was I don't say that in judgment to my dad it, it was a complicated situation he was bivocational you know there's all sorts of competing factors but you know it's complicated and I think I don't know, tell me, if, I'm assuming you'd agree, but I think we have to lean on the the side of protecting our family. Uh, like you say in the book, there's been so many, so many um, stories of kids who grew up in church who just get burned out because their parents are pastors and leaders. Um, I went to Bible college and I went to, you know, I went to college with all these kids who their parents were pastors or missionaries and they just, they were there only because their parents made them be. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, I think this is this is some of the painful stuff, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I I saw enough of that growing up, too, that I think as, as a pastor, one of my early goals was I, I need to figure out how to pastor in a way that my kids grow up and say, I was really lucky to be a pastor's kid instead yeah. of the opposite, you know? and um and and that's that's a day by day week by week challenge and um one of the the stories i recount in the book this is one of the best pieces of counsel i ever got was as a young church planner and um, this older pastor and in, in our city who i was friends with he uh, he said to me you know you will probably not have as much money to spend on your family as, as most of the people in your congregation said, Mm -hmm. but you're going to have something that many of them don't. And that's flexibility in the way you use your Mm -hmm. time. And yeah. And he said, you, you know, as a, as a church planner, as a pastor, you work a lot. There's, and there's no way around Mm -hmm. that. That's part of the job. But yeah. um, But he said, you, you can fix your own hours pretty well. And mm-hmm. so he's like, man, Tim, you need to be at every baseball game, every dance recital. You know, you, you, you can do that work later in the day. You know, you can go pick up mm-hmm. your kids from school. You can do these things. And so I've, um, I've tried to do that in, uh, in my years as, as a parent. And, um, and amazingly, surprisingly, in some ways, I, my fondest hope was that my children would look back one day and see it. But even now, as as young teens, they, they're seeing it. You know, they look at this and go, mm-hmm. you know what? We get more time with our parents than a lot of our friends do. Why is that? And I'm wow. able to tell them, well, that's one of the gifts that, that this church gives to you as a family. You know, I've nice. this is the arrangement I've made with them, and they support it. And so, um, so the church gets credit too, which I I think is important <laughs> for my kids too to see that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was thinking about this Tim too, like on a broader level. This, this kind of just speaks to having healthy boundaries, because we could talk about like whether it's a single church planner, uh, you know, a, a a church planner without, you know, married without kids, like. Whether you have kids or not, you're going to have friends, you're going to have family members outside the church who you still need to make time for, for, for your own nourishment and relationships and, uh, making intentionality about, um, honoring those relationships, whether it's your kids or spouse or brother or whatever, um, that matters
2: i totally agree and i i i do think i tried to write it this way but i think everything in the chapter on family can apply equally well to the single church planter yeah Uh, there are there are vital relationships that we need to nurture and we need to prioritize and and i i think we honor god by by finding a way to pastor where those nearest and dearest to us experience our work as a blessing and not a curse
1: Oh, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> I want to say something. Uh, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll say this. I'm not sure if my spouse has always experienced my work as a blessing, but, you know, you've been there, I know. Um, Last thing I want to say, and before we'll uh, take a break here, this is the quote that I think really, really, really hit me. You you referenced some study um that talked about the necessary core competencies to be a pastor. If I read this right, it was 65 core competencies. I just thought this is an impossible job. I mean, how do we do this? What, I mean, yeah. What do you have to say there?
2: Yeah. You know, and, and the person who conducted the study, they, that was their reaction too. Uh, Mm -hmm. This was a, a secular group who mm. they evaluate different different professions wow. and a, a study on pastoral health asked them to to do a study on on the pastoral life and they were stunned you know their reaction yeah. was was this is a recipe for failure who would want mm. to do this and uh, and i think as pastors we kind of you know we half smile half cry and go who would want to do this my goodness yeah you know, this this is tough but but I I bring that out in the book because I think uh, among other things it helps to calibrate our expectations properly mm-hmm. you know I, I say to church planner groups all the time that in the 17 years that I've been a church planner I can count on my fingers the number of days where I've checked everything off my to-do list mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen and yeah so we've kind of got two choices I mean we can say I'm I'm going to run so hard, so fast, and so long that I am going to get everything done.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but of course, as we've noted, the the end result of that is going to be that we won't be in this this line of work all that long. Yeah. Or the alternative is is we have to accept that we have limitations, that we are not God. We are people, and. Um, and by the grace God gives us, we're, we're going to do the absolute best we can within the limitations that we have, but we have to embrace those limitations if we're going to be anything that remotely looks like a healthy person doing this work of ministry.
1: Yeah, so good. Well, let's take a break real quick, and we'll come back with some closing questions. Is the church really dying, or is it dying to change? How can the church recapture what it was in the first century— A distinctive confessional community willing to stand against the status quo, to speak up against the empire, and to stand for the gospel. How can it do this in a 21st century context? This year, the Festival of Homiletics invites you into a conversation around how the promise of the gospel might shape hope and ministry for the future of the church. What is the role of preaching and forming the church of the future? Be inspired by God's word proclaimed by some of the nation's finest ministers and teachers. Experience the fellowship of hundreds of preachers, learn and worship in an atmosphere that is dynamic, friendly, nurturing, and prophetic. Come renew, refresh, and recharge your spirit. Join the Festival of Homiletics this spring for the 29th annual preaching conference. It will be broadcast virtually the week of May 17th to the 21st, 2021, and is free to all who register. Enjoy over 30 sessions from some of the best practitioners in the business: Michael Curry, Kate Baller. Diana Butler-Bass, Otis Moss II, Brian McLaren, Marilyn Robinson, Adam Russell-Taylor, and so many more. Register for free today at festivalofhomiletics.com.
0: Are you a worship leader who is going through a faith shift while still trying to produce 52 services a year? Are you a lead pastor who is dealing with high turnover on your creative team? Torn Curtain Arts exists to strengthen the creative soul of the local church by providing coaching, creative consulting, and interim worship leaders from our team with 20 years experience in the trenches of ministry. We help leaders get off the ministry treadmill of chasing Sunday after Sunday. Learn more about how we can help you and your team by visiting torncurtainarts.org.
1: All right, we're back with uh, Reverend Dr. Tim Maury. Is that Maury, Maury? Am I saying that right? Yeah,
2: yeah, you sure are.
1: Okay, good. Uh, if you're a Pope for a day, Tim, what do you wanna do? What's that day look
2: like? Well, first off, it's it's about the hat, Lauren. Gotta uh, got to wear the Pope hat.
1: Yeah, I get a surprising amount of responses about the hat,
2: which I'm, I like. Well, you know, I think uh, those of us who are on the Protestant side of the family tree, the regalia Mm -hmm. just isn't there so yeah there's there's a little bit of (laughs) of hat envy yeah you you know pope for a day i would i would do what i could to call the american church back to a a deep and careful study of scripture i Mm -hmm. think that we um I think that one of our weaknesses as American Christians is that we're very susceptible to baptizing whatever we see in the culture and calling it Christian. And there's sort of a mm-hmm. version of this on the right and a version on the left. Yeah. I know people like to fight over which is worse, and I don't really care. I think it's it's a problem in both of those houses. So uh, where I hope yeah. for a day, I would uh, I would try to direct people's attention to that.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you would want to meet or bring back to life?
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, all right, I've, I've got to give you a triple answer here. Um, okay. C.S. Lewis, uh, Dallas Willard, who I, I had the privilege of studying under, and uh, mm-hmm. John Stott. And those three, just in their thinking, in their, their missional outlook... Um, it really the, the clarity of thought of theological thought uh, have just been huge gifts to me so if I could sit down with all the three of those brothers for a pint at the same time that <laughs> would that would be a very happy day for me
1: yeah awesome um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place
2: um you know uh, it if they remember something good, something bad, um, I would say uh, on the negative side, I'm afraid that as people look back on the church of this era, that cultural compromise that I mentioned, I think that's going to be um, that's going to be something that unfortunately I think the church in this era is remembered for. Uh, mm. On on the more positive side of the ledger, I'm I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that when uh, when future generations look back on us that they will see an adherence to scripture that they will see mm-hmm. a passion and a creativity and mission and that they will see that we we brought back together those those two parts of mission that often are separated of social action and evangelism and uh, stopped catapulting ourselves to only one side or the other
1: yeah 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 um where oh well I need to ask this too this kind of relates to your lot. La- you sort of answered it but let me ask you more directly. What do you hope for the future of Christianity? Mm.
2: Yeah, well I suppose it would be that last thing that I said. That's Yeah. and I see glimmers of it, which is why I'm I am hopeful that uh, future generations will look back and see those things, but uh but I would love to see that as the church goes forward is that we would be Uh, entirely faithful, not just in those pockets or those corners or in the right-wing ways or left-wing ways that we'd prefer to be faithful, but in the totality of what it looks like to embrace the full counsel of God and to live it out in His grace.
1: Awesome. Well, where can people find out more about you and uh, get your book?
2: Uh, The book is on Amazon uh, and Barnes & Noble and all such places, christianbook.com. University um, Press. If you want to get it directly from the publisher, and uh, they can find me on Facebook, or they can email me, Tim at life-covenant.com.
1: Awesome. Well, again, the 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 book is planting a church without losing your soul. Uh, I would say again, if you're thinking about new church, even like church revitalization, I think the same rules here apply. The same. The same uh, wisdom here would be applicable. So, uh, Tim, I always lead. I always lead folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you.
2: Oh, thank you, Lauren, and thank you for having me on, brother. It's a joy.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor: subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.